Hey everybody, this is Paul Boyer. I've entitled this episode, Penultimatum, which is not a word that's in most common dictionaries, but if you Google it, you get over 26,000 results. Welcome to season two, episode 12 of The Mad Money Machine. Broadcasting from the Bitcoin bunker, six blocks below. Brandishing the blockchain to fight good versus evil. This is Bitcoin versus the man. This is the battle of the century. This is the Mad Money Machine. So where can you find the magic word for this episode of the Mad Money Machine? During the sponsor segment, when I talk about Broker.com. Before you buy it, Broker it. When I talk about LibertéMining.com. And when I talk about Bitping.org. Thank you, sponsors, for supporting this show. UrbanDictionary.com <laughs> defines a penultimatum as a penultimate ultimatum or the act of threatening to give an ultimatum. And they give an example where you might use it in a sentence. Actually, he said, watch it. Don't make me give you an ultimatum. So it was more of a penultimatum. Well, there's a very distinct chance that this is the penultimate episode of the Madman Machine Season 2. And the ultimate episode would be in two weeks, episode 13 of season two. But I'm not ending the season because I'm threatening to uh, quit if I don't get enough donations. That's, I'm not actually giving a penultimatum. Just like uh, TV episodes that run for 13 or 26 weeks, they need time to regroup, refocus, and get inspired and get their creative juices flowing again. In my case, I need time to regroup, focus, and get more golf in. <laughs> We've had an outstanding summer here in uh, Northern Virginia. Actually, September's turned, starting out to be hotter than August has been. And my problem was in August, I played three rounds of golf in a row, and by the third round, I wrenched something in my back so bad. I had to sit out for two weeks, two of the most glorious weeks of the whole summer. I had to sit out from playing golf. So I'm hoping to be able to make, make that up in uh, Octo uh, September or October as we get the beautiful fall temperatures. Golf is just about the only exercise I get. And if you look at people like Angel Cabrera, John Daly, Craig and Kevin Statler, and Virginia Tech's own Brendan DeJong. These guys are not small. <laughs> so, and they walk while they're playing golf. And they play four, four days of golf in a row walking at least. Well, if they make the cut, that is. So I guess they play the, uh, you know, the preview rounds on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Then they tee it up Thursdays and Fridays walking. Playing 18 holes. So my point is, golf is exercise to a point. But not everyone that golfs looks like Tiger Woods. Maybe, maybe I should take up some other form of exercise. Um, because playing 18 holes riding in a cart, I'm exhausted. 
Um, if I could work up the endurance to walk 18 holes four days in a row, then maybe I'd have something. So maybe I will take that on as my um, uh, activity during breaks between season two and season three to build up that endurance. I can't wait any longer. Let's pull something out of the Mad Men Machine Bitcoin Tool Crib. Well, this week's tools are not actually existing yet, but they are the final winners of the summer-long Bitcoin app development contest at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. The MIT Bitcoin Project at mitbitcoinproject.org is going to give every undergraduate at MIT $100 in Bitcoin this fall. And to support the development of interesting projects, they've launched the MIT BitComp to inspire and motivate MIT students and alumni to develop Bitcoin-related applications. And throughout this summer, what they've done is distributed over $15,000 in prizes to reward the most impressive projects. I'm going to tell you about some of the winners. The first one and the grand prize winner of $5,000 is Ethos. And their YouTube video explaining it is all music and some text that you have to read. So I'll read you the text while I play you their music. We live in a world of data. We share our data with online services. In return, we get a personalized experience. But the data is no longer ours. No security, no transparency, and no control. What can we do? Ethos. Using blockchain technology for secure messaging and auditing and a distributed hash table for managing and encrypting our data, giving us transparency, control, and ownership. Ethos, coming soon. Not a whole lot of information available about it yet. You can go to signup.ethosproject.io to uh, sign up with your email address to get early access to their limited private beta. What they do say on their website, what little there is of it is ethos, control and own your personal data. It says our private data should belong to us, not the online services we use. We are building a decentralized blockchain to help us regain control and ownership of our personal data. Well, the next winner did have some uh, voice in their YouTube video. This was not the final winner, but this is the winner of round two, and it's a winner of a prediction market type system called Tomorrow Market. I like prediction markets, so listen to Tomorrow Market's pitch. It has been shown that polling and analysis isn't nearly as accurate as a market. This knowledge is now embraced in private spheres by companies like Google, who use markets for forecasting product launch dates and new office openings. Eli Lilly, a major pharmaceutical company, 
found that prediction markets outdid conventional methods in forecasting outcomes of drug research and development. Oil futures prices have accurately estimated the cost of carrying a commodity until the time of delivery. Two years after the U.S. financial crisis, a wave of protests and violence swept the Middle East. This resulted in cabinet resignations, coup d'etats, terror plots, assassinations, civil wars, and widespread instability throughout the entire Middle East. Only in hindsight did we really notice that rising prices in wheat was a strong precursor to the Arab Spring, information that might have been clear with such a market. The resulting information of a prediction market could provide critical strategic guidance in such fields as global policy, finance, and research and development. Still, the trouble with these and other predictive analysis markets is their size. The more players, the better the statistics are. Anonymity of the players helps too. This is something that can be solved with blockchain technology. Previous prediction markets were limited by payment options. Now with Bitcoin, instantaneous transactions and programmable contracts open new possibilities for prediction markets. I would like to introduce to you Tomorrow Market, a decentralized policy futures market. Using Bitcoin as a medium of exchange, Tomorrow Market will revolutionize the way predictive information is gathered, analyzed, and displayed. Real-time consensus-driven probability estimates derived from anonymous sources gathered and displayed in a user-friendly interface. Participants can generate their own customized contracts or select from featured contracts on our main page. Users can explore contracts by topic, price, popularity, or expiration date. Two product types are offered, binary and derivative contracts. Our binary contracts are single event options that users can purchase, believing the event will occur, or sell, believing the event will not occur. Derivative contracts, two events conditional upon each other, can prove particularly lucrative to users with specific information, whilst also enhancing prediction power of the market. Our contracts are accuracy graded based on volumization, time till expiration, amongst other factors. Our analytics interface displays the data in real time, allowing observers to extract information as it occurs. Tomorrow Market, crowdsourcing the future. So I like the uh, the idea of a prediction market. I think uh, the more people that are out there with their various bits of knowledge that can contribute to predicting the future, the better. I think no one can predict the future though, so we'll see how well any prediction market actually goes. Uh, the wisdom of the crowds is the idea here. And the uh, devil is in the details of the implementation. I know there are several people out there working on implementations of prediction markets using Bitcoin. I, maybe one of the best prediction markets out there is one that doesn't use any currency at all. Just uses the currency of your data, which Ethos is trying to get rid of. And that, of course, is Google Trends. But I'll save that research for another time. And the final... MIT BitComp winner that I'll highlight in this episode is Fireflies. Fireflies is a decentralized delivery service exclusive to Bitcoin. The app uses a person's extended social network to find and pay another person to deliver goods or services. Fireflies enables you to put requests of food or other goods that you want along with the price in Bitcoin that you're willing to pay for the delivery up to your extended network or the local community. It notifies people at the location of interest of the request in case they're looking to make a quick buck or Bitcoin. The video shows a girl studying, getting up hungrily, looking for food in the house, realizing she has none, getting on her iPhone and getting onto her Fireflies application, 
tapping on some fast food icon. Then the video cuts to a guy walking down the street, pulls out his iPhone, looks and sees that there's a request for uh, fast food. He looks up and there's Chick-fil-A. Uh, the next thing you see is he's got a bag that he's carrying up to the front porch. The girl answers the door. She pulls out her iPhone and sends the guy his Bitcoin. Is it Uber for fast food? Is it Airbnb for eats? No, it's Fireflies. Other projects that were honored for their contributions to the contest, one won the Next Billion Award, which was meant to honor the team that works to bring digital currency to emerging markets. The winner was Rex Mercury with a Bitcoin to SMS gateway service designed to facilitate cross-border payments. And then BitStation, a wallet designed specifically for MIT students, picked up the Improving MIT War Award, while Potlucky, an app that can be used to make simple off-blockchain transactions, was given the Bitcoin Evangelism Award. Finally, the contest also spotlit an implementation of CoinJoin, a Bitcoin transa transaction anonymizer built by an MIT student. For more information about this, you can go out to the uh, show notes for this show and find the Coindesk.com article that talks about the final winner winners of the MIT App Contest. Or you can go to MITBitcoinProject.org and read all about it. Well, that's today's Mad Money Machine Bitcoin tools. And like the best things in life, they're all free. Well, the date is getting closer and everybody's getting excited for September 9th. You know what September 9th is? It's the big reveal. It's what Apple is going to do with iPhone 6, with the iWatch, and with the iWallet, which we are, that's what we're calling it anyway. And of course, we're hoping to get new uh, MacBook Airs, iPad Airs, um, Mac minis and a whole raft of apple products and we're hoping that you too performs at the end of the big show there on the apple campus <laughs> september 9th we'll see what actually transpires i'll probably talk about it on the ultimate episode of the mad money machine in two weeks the one affecting the bitcoin community the most could be the iWallet. if you can pay just swiping your iphone across some uh <laughs> near-field communications reader, then do you really need Bitcoin? If you can pay your online payment using your iPhone, do you really need Bitcoin? Apple's going to make it easy to use. Apple's going to be the man in the middle. Apple's going to let us continue using dollars. Apple might start out with a low fee or no fee, and as time goes on, maybe that fee goes up a little bit. Does Apple want to get a piece of the billion-dollar credit card payment industry? I don't see why not. Why is it we care about Bitcoin? Remember, go all the way back to Satoshi's original paper. It's a system of electronic payments that doesn't require a trusted third party in the middle. Apple's iWallet does.
Well, let's play a round of what is without a doubt the world's number one favorite game, Guru Roulette. I've replaced the numbers on a roulette wheel with the names of Bitcoin gurus. I'll spin the wheel and roll the marble. And for the selected guru, give a little background on their Bitcoin philosophy. So here we go. And the winner on Madman Machine Season 2, Episode 12 is... Hal Finney. Well, this is extremely timely. What a coincidence. Hal Harold Thomas Finney II, born May 4th, 1956, passed away recently, August 28th, 2014. He was a developer for PGP Corporation and was the second developer hired after its creator, Phil Zimmerman. In Hal's early career, he was credited as lead developer on several console games, including Adventures of Tron, Armor Ambush, Astro Blast, and Face Attack. Here's what Hal had to say about himself on March 19th, 2013, writing at bitcointalk.org. I thought I'd write about the last four years, an eventful time for Bitcoin and me. For those who don't know me, I'm Hal Finney. I got my start in crypto working on an early version of PGP, working closely with Phil Zimmerman. When Phil decided to start PGP Corporation, I was one of the first hires. I would work on PGP until my retirement. At the same time, I got involved with the cypherpunks. I ran the first cryptographically based anonymous remailer, among other activities. Fast forward to the late 2008 and the announcement of Bitcoin. I've noticed that the cryptographic graybeards, I was in my mid-50s, tend to get cynical. I was more idealistic. I always have loved crypto, the mystery and paradox of it. When Satoshi announced Bitcoin on the cryptography mailing list, he got a skeptical reaction at best. Cryptographers have seen too many grand schemes by clueless noobs. They tend to have a knee-jerk reaction. I was more positive. I had long been interested in cryptographic payment schemes. Plus, I was lucky enough to meet and extensively correspond with both Wei Dai and Nick Sabo, generally acknowledged, acknowledged to have created ideas that would be realized with Bitcoin. I had made an attempt to create my own proof-of-work currency called RPAL, so I found Bitcoin fascinating. When Satoshi announced the first release of the software, I grabbed it right away. I think I was the first person besides Satoshi to run Bitcoin. I mined block 70-something, and I was the recipient of the first Bitcoin transaction when Satoshi sent 10 coins to me as a test. I carried on an email conversation with Satoshi over the next few days, mostly me reporting bugs and him fixing them. Today, Satoshi's, Satoshi's true identity has become a mystery, but at the time I thought I was dealing with a young man of Japanese ancestry who was very smart and sincere. I had the good fortune to know many brilliant people over the course of my life, so I recognized the signs. After a few days, Bitcoin was running pretty stably, so I left it running. Those were the days when the difficulty was one, and you could find blocks with a CPU, not even a GPU. I mined several blocks over the next days, but I turned it off because it made my computer run hot and the fan noise bothered me. In retrospect, I wish I had kept it on longer, but on the other hand, I was extraordinarily lucky to be there at the beginning. It's one of those glass, half full, half empty things. The next I heard of Bitcoin was in late 2010, when I was surprised to find that it was not only going strong, 
bitcoins actually had monetary value. I dusted off my old wallet and was relieved to discover that my bitcoins were still there. As the price climbed up to real money, I transferred the coins to an offline wallet where hopefully they'll be worth something to my heirs. Speaking of heirs, I got a surprise in 2009 when I was suddenly diagnosed with a fatal disease. I was in the best shape of my life at the start of that year. I'd lost a lot of weight and taken up distance running. I'd run several half marathons and I was starting to train for a full marathon. I worked my way up to 20 plus mile runs and I thought I was all set. That's when everything went wrong. My body began to fail. I slurred my speech, lost strength in my hands and my legs were slow to recover. In August 2009, I was given the diagnosis of ALS, also called Lou Gehrig's disease after the famous baseball player who got it. ALS is a disease that kills motor neurons, which carry motor signals from the brain to the muscles. It causes first weakness, then gradually increasing paralysis. It is usually fatal in two to five years. My symptoms were mild at first and I continued to work, but fatigue and voice problems forced me to retire in early 2011. Since then, the disease has continued in its inexorable progression. Today, I am essentially paralyzed. I'm fed through a tube and my breathing is assisted through another tube. I operate the computer using a commercial eye tracker system. It also has a speech synthesizer, so this is my voice now. I spend all day in my power wheelchair. I worked up an interface using an Arduino so that I adjust my wheelchair's position using my eyes. It has been an adjustment, but my life's not too bad. I can still read, listen to music, and watch TV and movies. I recently discovered that I can even write code. It's very slow, probably 50 times slower than I was before, but I still love programming and it gives me goals. Currently, I'm working with something Mike Hearn suggested using the security features of modern processors designed to support trusted computing to harden Bitcoin wallets. I'm almost ready to release. I just have to do the documentation. And of course, the price gyrations of Bitcoins are entertaining to me. I have skin in the game, but I came by my Bitcoins through luck with little credit to me. I lived through the crash of 2011, so I've seen it before. Easy come, easy go. That's my story. I'm pretty lucky overall. Even with the ALS, my life is very satisfying, but my life expectancy is limited. Those discussions about inheriting your Bitcoins are of more than academic interest. My Bitcoins are stored in our safe deposit box and my son and daughter are tech savvy. I think they're safe enough. I'm comfortable with my legacy. Well, I don't have anything at all intelligent to add to what the very genius Hal Finney had to say about himself other than congratulations, you're the guru on Madman Machine Season 2, Episode 12. Well, I may not have anything intelligent to say, but I've got some other things I can say about it. One is, <laughs> early this year when the uh, Newsweek magazine thought Dorian Nakamoto was Satoshi Nakamoto, it was discovered that Hal Finney lives only 1.6 miles away from Dorian Nakamoto. And I guess he didn't know him at the time. The second thing I have to say that's not necessarily intelligent is that um, ALS has been... 
popular recently with the Ice Bucket Challenge, and there have been several people who've done the Ice Bucket Challenge in honor of Hal Finney. And his wife is very appreciative of the respect that uh, they've given him. And the third thing I'll say about Hal Finney, which is not necessarily intelligent either, is that his body is being cryogenically frozen in Arizona someplace. And when they discover a cure for ALS, they'll thaw him out and give him the cure. Hal Finney, I hope you're listening to this. And I hope it's not too long from the year 2014. You're listening to Paul Boyer's Mad Money Machine. It's time for the sponsor segment, and as I may have alerted, alluded to earlier, the magic word is located right here in the middle of the sponsor segment for a reason, and that is so that you'll listen, so that you'll listen to the sponsor segment. Yes, the magic word this time is Brocker, and I'm not going to spell it for you because I think you've heard it spelled before. Brocker is the magic word. If you go to Brocker.com, you can see why it's so magical. You want an easy way to get Bitcoins with your credit card or PayPal? Go to Brocker.com. You want an easy way to buy things online using your Bitcoins? Go to Brocker.com. It's like the meeting of peanut butter and chocolate. Makes a great candy. The meeting of buyers and sellers of Bitcoin makes a great web online service. Brocker.com. Before you buy it, Brocker it. I also like to thank Walter, who sent in 300 millibits to advertise bitping.org. Bitping allows you to create a link on your site requesting a payment or donation and optionally for an amount in a number of different currencies. It can be used to simply display a QR code for any given address or text and allows you to save commonly used addresses in an address book that is stored on your local machine. They do not store any user information on their server. Go to bitping.org and try it out. And the third sponsor I'd like to mention is I'd like to congratulate Ryan Scott for winning the first sponsor token for the Mad Money Machine using LTB coin at auction.letstalkbitcoin.com. Uh, and he is announcing the release of his new website, libertemining.com, L-I-B-E-R-T-E, with accent grave, which you don't have to type in to get to the website, libertemining.com. They're offering the first ever premium mining asset valued at one terahash per second. And their goal is to offer fair and transparent process for mining. They use P2 Pool for our pool software, which all Bitcoin revenue is recorded public, uh, publicly on the blockchain, allowing anyone to verify payouts. They're also using Counterparty, which will allow for a transparent trading platform check them out libertymining.com libertymining.com mining operations are just commencing in september 2014 can you smell the wasabi Ooh, it kind of burns let's go get some more in satoshi's corner satoshi no corner Well, in honor of Hal Finney, I thought I'd read a little bit from a Wall Street Journal article that interviewed Hal Finney in which they had some of the uh, discussions between Hal Finney and Satoshi Nakamoto in those early years. Article by Paul Vigna, August 29, 2014. 
Down in the article, it says, Reflecting on his time working with Nakamoto, Mr. Finney said they never spoke directly, and he says he does not know Nakamoto's true identity, although at the time he assumed he was talking to a young Japanese-American male. The two communicated via email. Nakamoto's email was, naturally, encrypted. And Mr. Finney saved those emails, some of which he shared with the journal. And they have a link to them. I'll give you the link to the Wall Street Journal article in which you can get the link to his emails. They open a small window into the first days of the digital currency and provide a slight bit of light on Nakamoto himself. The cypherpunks had been focused on digital anonymous money for years and had built several early systems all to no avail. Mr. Finney himself had developed a version of e-money in 2004, so when Bitcoin first came around in 2008, most members were dubious. Mr. Finney was an outlier. The article says, Mr. Finney replied to Nakamoto's January 9, 2009 announcement that he had launched Bitcoin, and for the next two weeks he worked with the founder to debug the system and get it running properly. Mr. Finney became a key contributor, the first person to work with Nakamoto to run the Bitcoin software, and the first to receive a transfer of Bitcoin. The conversations between the men were wholly dedicated to setting up the Bitcoin network and are very technical in nature. In that sense, they don't shed a tremendous amount of light on Nakamoto, but they do give some measure of the man, and they do open a window into Bitcoin's earliest days. Mr. Finney downloaded version 0.1.0, and it crashed, which surprised Nakamoto, who'd been testing the system himself and hadn't had any crashes, but he managed to reproduce the bug and the faulty code that caused it. It was absolutely the last piece of code to go in, he wrote. I'm really dismayed to have this botch up the release after all that stress testing. It's one of the few displays of emotion from him in the emails. Well, they went back and forth through version 0.1.2 and 0.1.3. There were more crashes, more debugging, more rewriting, and more retooling of the code over and over again. Nakamoto wrote, I was getting so there were so many zombie nodes, I was having a hard time getting a reply to any of my messages. He wrote to Hal Finney in one email, while he was simply trying to establish reliable connections between two different users of the system, the other being Mr. Finney. Mr. Finney from time to time was himself pegged as Satoshi Nakamoto, a claim he denied. He also said he didn't know Nakamoto's true identity. He never asked Nakamoto to identify himself. Mr. Finney told the journal in the spring that he does believe it is possible to discover Nakamoto's real identity, although he didn't ha have any thoughts himself about who it might be. Mr. Finney also said he was surprised by Bitcoin's rapid growth, but that he thought it could eventually live up to the hype. And here's from one of their earliest emails from... Uh, Hal Finney to Satoshi and back. Hal Finney wrote, Hi Satoshi, I tried running Bitcoin.exe from the 0.1.0 package and it crashed. I am running on an up-to-date version of XP, Service Pack 3. The debug log.log output is attached. There was also a file db.log, but it was empty. The crash allowed me to start up a debugger, but there were no symbols. The exception was at address 09 blah blah blah. The displayed call stack was such and so and called by so forth. When I have a chance, I'll try building it, although it looks like it would take me a while to acquire all the dependencies. Hal. 
and Satoshi replied, Saturday, January 10th, 2009. Normally, I would keep the symbols in, but they ha increased the size of the EXE from 6.5 megabytes to 50 megabytes, so I just couldn't justify not stripping them. I guess I made the wrong decision, at least for this early version. I'm kind of surprised there was a crash. I've tested heavily and haven't had an outright exception for a while. Come to think of it, there isn't even an exception print at the end of debug.log. I've been testing on XP Service Pack 2. Maybe SP3 is something. I've attached Bitcoin.exe with symbols. Uh, GCC symbols for GDB if you're using MSVC. I can send you an MSVC symbol a build with symbols. Thanks for your help! Exclamation point. Satoshi Nakamoto. penultimate episode of season two of the madman machine i also have the penultimate step in the 12-step program for active investors one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve a 12-step program for active investors step 11 risk exposure my name is paul and i'm an active investor I'm almost home. I've taken the risk capacity survey and now I'm ready to put my money to work. I can't tell you how good it feels to finally be on the right track with my investments. You know, somebody once told me, coming out of the dark is a bright experience. Before you know it, you're laughing more and life makes sense. Somebody else also told me, if you could ride out the storm, the sun would come again. Well, I've been holding my breath, sitting on the edge of my seat waiting on this welcomed awakening. Somebody once told me coming out of the dark so bright experience before you know it you're laughing more and life makes sense Somebody once told me if you can ride out the storm the sun will come again I've been holding my breath, sitting on the edge of my seat, waiting on this welcome to Now that you understand risk capacity, the next step is to match the results of the risk capacity survey with a specific risk exposure. There is only one risk exposure question that needs to be posed. What mix of indexes provides the highest expected return at your level of risk? Getting to that answer involved concepts discovered by academics who methodically applied the scientific method to this problem. You want a simple formula for your risk exposure? Try these four concepts. Number one, obtain data with acceptable confidence levels. This requires at least 20 years of risk and return characteristics of indexes. Number two, select several indexes that best capture the three factors that explain 95% of stock market returns. Those include indexes from the United States, international and emerging markets, and within each area, select indexes that focus on total market, small cap, and value stocks. 
Number three, assemble those indexes in such a manner that you obtain global diversification, tax management where applicable, and high expected returns at each level of risk. And number four, considering the taxable status of each account, allocate the index mutual funds that best match the indexes. In taxable accounts, use tax manage index funds. In tax deferred accounts, use standard index funds. If you don't understand what to do now that you know your risk capacity, if you don't know how to get the right risk exposure, we're here to rescue you. We're here to bring you home. Is there some way you can rescue me? Some way you can bring me home again? Some way you can rescue me? If you'd like more information on the proper way to invest, take these 11 steps so far. And with that knowledge, go out to IFA.com and read a whole lot more about it. Call the Mad Money Machine voicemail line at 571-366-7121. So I think the day before the ultimate episode of season two of the Mad Money Machine, the uh, Scots will be voting on their independence. Now, I've had the joy of having been to Scotland before. I've been a couple of times. Um, I've been to Edinburgh. I've been to St. Andrews. I didn't get to golf there other than the little putt-putt course. We drove all around, saw Loch Ness and went up to Inverness and, uh, Loch Lomond and hiking through the countryside and Glasgow and a, a great place to be Scotland. Um, so they're going to vote on should Scotland be an independent country? Yes or no on September 18th, 2014. Now, if they vote yes, then the question will be, well, what money will they use? Because remember, the British pound would not be part of Scotland anymore. So would they start their own money? Would they decide to use the British pound still? Would they decide to maybe use the euro? Hey, they might use want to use the dollar. Or, you know what I'm going to say here, don't you? Yeah. They could use Bitcoin, or they could make their own national cryptocurrency, Scotcoin. There was an article from uh, IB Times, International Business Times, May 13th, 2014, by uh, David Gilbert. Scottish independence, is Bitcoin the solution to currency problems? And he, in there, he talked about Scotcoin. I guess it's sort of a, a take on Aurora coin. I'm not sure. It does say that Scotland already has a de facto cryptocurrency in the shape of Scotcoin, a project which saw every citizen, including those living overseas, able to claim a thousand Scotcoins each. The second phase of the project will begin this Thursday. Remember, this is back in May, when the remaining 950 million coins will be equally distributed. The man behind the project, Derek Nisbet, an Edinburgh-based venture capitalist, told The Guardian, quote, there is so much uncertainty with the current financial situation that introducing a voluntary cryptocurrency, which may in the future act as a medium of exchange for the Scottish people, can only benefit them should there be a major disruption. And the article continues in saying, ahead of the vote on Scottish independence later this year, the Yes campaign is proposing that Scotland continue using the pound and enter into a formal currency agreement with the rest of the UK. And I say, nah, scrap it. And go with Bitcoin.
I've mentioned before that I like me a good dystopian story, you know, starting with The Hunger Games and then Divergent. So when I saw the movie Giver was out and heard that that was a novel first, I thought I'll give it a go. I uh, decided to read the novel quickly, and it's fairly short, so it was quickly, a couple days. Uh, before going to see the movie, the novel was interesting, kind of a um, mm, cerebral-type action, I suppose, and uh, dragged my family along to go see the movie. And the movie was, wasn't really all that great, I didn't think. Uh, much better Hunger Games, much better Divergent. Uh, the Giver, being as cerebral as it is, just didn't come across well on the screen, as many other reviewers uh, said. Now, if you're looking for a good story, though, there's an old book that you might want to check out that doesn't really get enough mentioned, I think, in popular press these days. Uh, it's a book comprised of 66 other books. It's the Bible. <laughs> and one book in particular I recently read for the first time. It's the book of First Samuel. And it's the story of King Saul, uh, the first king of Israel. Uh, I definitely check, think you should check it out. Now, of course, this, the book starts talking about Samuel, uh, his birth, and and uh, his uh, later, how he um, became a leader and then appointed Saul king, the first king of Israel. And then it gets into this other guy that you might have heard of named David. Now, you've probably heard the story of David and Goliath, but have you heard the story of David and Saul? If not, grab a copy. You know, there's a, um, there's a great app for your iPhone or your tablet or whatever, your smartphone or your tablet, called the Bible. <laughs> and it's free. And it gives you all kinds of different translations of the Bible. A good one to pick up might be the New Living Translation. It's a paraphrased version. It was written in the early 70s. So yeah, it's a little bit... Um, uh, hippie language at parts, but it's a, it's an easier way to read the story of Samuel, Saul, and David from first Samuel of the Bible. Check it out. Well, if you didn't hear the magic word for this episode, uh, go back to about the 24 minute, 20 second mark of this show. And that's in the sponsor segment. You'll find what the magic word is for season two, episode 12, you have until third, uh, Tuesday, that's four days after Friday, and that date is September, I don't know what it is, 5th plus 4, 9th, that's September 9th, you get till about the afternoon of September 9th to enter that magic word. I want to thank the sponsors of this show, Brocker.com, Bitping.org, and LibertéMining.com. Now, I'm going to have an auction. I'm trying to set it up right now. I hope it works. I'm going to try to auction off another sponsor token so that you can advertise on the next and ultimate episode of the Mad Money Machine. Go out to auction.letstalkbitcoin.com and see the details there. You'll have about a week, uh, maybe a little bit less than a week, to bid on and win that auction for a sponsor token which gets you about a minute advertising slot on the next Mad Money Machine. Read all the details out there. Go and win the auction and participate in Let's Talk Bitcoin coin, LTB coin. By the way, I haven't mentioned before, but there's a great app for the iPhone. 
It's the Let's Talk Bitcoin uh, Network app. You can listen to podcasts and you can read articles out there. But the other cool thing is you can uh, view the comments that have been made on podcasts out there. Uh, Just uh, click on the podcast you're interested in and then click all the way on the right there. There's a little comment balloon. You can pull up the comments that have been made on the podcast. I think it's pretty cool. And it's free. And it's available for iTunes and soon Android as I understand it. And by the way, I did get your CryptoKit emails, uh, offers to help out with the website. I'm not going to take you on them, up on them just yet, but when I'm ready to upgrade the website, I'll let you all know and I'll send some LTB coin your way. I want to thank you for listening to this penultimate episode of Season 2 of the Mad Money Machine. I'm looking forward to seeing you again in two weeks. Two weeks makes it uh, 14 uh, September 19th, I think is the Friday. Around 3 o'clock Eastern Time or so, or whenever we get around to releasing it, you'll get the next Mad Money Machine. This is Paul Boyer saying it takes money to make money. It takes Bitcoin to make a Mad Money Machine. See you in two weeks. But in the meantime, buy some Bitcoin, spend some Bitcoin, donate some Bitcoin, and then replenish your Bitcoin. If there's anything at all that you like about the Mad Money Machine, send out a tweet, including at Mad Money Machine to help spread the word. I'd appreciate your donations to help keep the show going. Go to madmanmachine.com, click the donate button off the right-hand side. Email me, bitcoin at madmanmachine.com. I'm available at Facebook and Reddit as well. Call the voicemail line, 571-366-7121. Stay tuned now for a great Madman Machine after-party that you don't want to miss. On uh, last Madman Machine's episode... I played a Bob Dylan tune, which got uh, promptly got the Mad Men Machine booted, at least that episode, booted from YouTube due to copyright violation. Oh, we wouldn't want anybody to hear Bob Dylan's song without paying Bob Dylan. Now would we? I had been careful in previous Mad Men Machines to play music that was already on YouTube, thinking that, hey, if it's already on YouTube, then YouTube... Surely wouldn't mind it being on YouTube again. Ah, well, on this episode, I'm going to try again. This song is not on YouTube, but I'm hoping they'll be a little bit more gentle. It's from the band Cadence, and if you go to thebandcadence.com, you'll find out more about them. I got to hear them last Sunday perform at our church, and they have a new CD out called Home, and I think it's going to be a big hit, and I think this song, especially from that album could reach the top of the charts. It's called For the Broken. We sing, filled with wonder, we're in awe of you, God. Amazed by your power, how your grace never stops.
tune uh, the uh, album is full of really good tunes i suggest you check it out it's available on itunes for under eight dollars a pretty good deal now they're going to be on tour with building 492 and loving the outcome this fall uh, the first stops in that tour include uh, white river junction vermont fredericton canada oxford maine queensbury new york swansea massachusetts monroe michigan willard ohio Cary, north carolina Silver Creek, Georgia, Phoenix City, Alabama, Jackson, Mississippi, New Albany, Mississippi, and then a swing through Texas, then Indiana, Wisconsin. My goodness, these people are busy. They are coming to Williamsport, Maryland on November 2nd, then they're flying back to Arizona on November 6th. It's a lot of traveling for the family band of Cadence. Check them out. I'll see you in two weeks on Season 2's Ultimate episode of the Mad Money Machine. Thanks so much for listening.